Is Sonny Gray the last meaningful addition to the Cardinals' rotation for 2024, or is it time for Mosellock to get creative? Coming up on B-Shafe Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. The morning hours of Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. I hope everybody had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Apologies for the delay to kicking off the new week, especially given the news going on in Cardinals land. But a lot of stuff going on in Brendan land as well. If you're the prayer type, could appreciate a prayer or two right now for my family. I've been going through a bit of a cold unrelated to the prayer thing. And so I was trying to give my voice a little chance to rest back up. But the Cardinals signed Sonny Gray, so we're going to hop right in now to discussing whether this edition is one that Cardinals fans should be excited about, first and foremost, because there has been some crazy takes that I've seen across the spectrum on whether or not this is even a good move for the St. Louis Cardinals, despite the fact that it was the move that I had said all along, if you've been listening to B-Shape Daily, would probably be the guy the Cardinals go get. It seemed like the logical conclusion to a foray into the upper end of the free agent market at the starting pitcher position. So we'll talk about whether it's a good move to begin with and then whether it's the last move. Is Sonny Gray the final, let's call it meaningful addition to the Cardinals starting rotation? Is the five that you go into Jupiter, Florida with in the middle of February, is that group set now or is there still an opportunity for John Mozeliak and the St. Louis Cardinals to be creative about this? That's the topic of the day on B-Shape Daily. Not sure how long I'll be able to go today, but I want to set the scene, set the table for you guys so you can know what to expect. If you enjoy Cardinals content, I want to quickly ask you to jump on board. If you haven't hit subscribe on YouTube, we're up over 2,000 subscribers for a channel that we started in April. So really appreciate you guys. Let's see how far we can go before the 2024 season kicks off. But bringing you Cardinals content mostly daily when I can. And I promise we'll get back on the horse here after the holiday because even though the Cardinals have made some moves already, more moves, honestly, than any other MLB team, I think it's important to take a moment to recognize that. They probably had more to do than any other MLB team. Like, they had a full shopping list coming into this offseason, and the reason for that is because they put themselves in that position. But to the Cardinals' credit and the front office's credit and the credit of ownership for allowing the spending to happen, the Cardinals have been very active so far. I don't think they're done necessarily. Are they done with starting pitching, though? That's going to be an interesting question because I think in order not to be, it's going to have to be very creative. There's going to have to be a creative solution and kind of that word that Mosellac has used before that he doesn't like, complicated. I think the Cardinals could stand to do something complicated and creative here that would help them in 2024. But hit that subscribe button if you enjoy Cardinals content. You can also subscribe to just the audio version of this, which eventually on YouTube I want to do video, but I don't have quite the editing capacity and time on my hands just yet to do video for every B-Shape Daily podcast, but I know some people like it on YouTube. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Just search B-Shape Daily. But first and foremost, let's answer this question. Is Sonny Gray a good signing for the Cardinals? Was this a good move? And I'm going to say that it was. It came in right about at the price point that we thought would happen. Three years, $75 million. I had said maybe $73 million. 72 million, but three years felt like the right number. Would have been a little concerned if you had gone to four years, but then again, I could have seen a four year, 
and maybe $81 million contract instead of a 3 and 75 kind of lopping on an extra year to the end of it like they did, I felt like, for Wilson Contreras when the total expenditure for Contreras was not all that dissimilar to what I expected, but it was an extra year than I expected, which makes it a better deal. I thought maybe the Cardinals would have gone that route, but three years and out with Sonny Gray, I think that's good. He's 20, uh, 34 years old. 24 would be notable to be only signing a three-year contract off the season he just had. But 34 years old, so you'll have him for age 34, 5, and 6, I believe, because I think he just turned 34 years old in uh, the beginning of this month. I think he's a November birthday. Let me double-check on that. Yeah, he just turned 34, which I think when I had been talking about him previously this offseason, maybe I thought he he was like 34 in the summer, which not too terribly different, but I don't know. I, I always do this with fantasy football where I'm looking at a player and I'm like, oh, they're, they just had their birthday, and so they're going to be even younger for longer. I should trade for that player. Sonny Gray just turned 34. Whatever that means to you, he pitched at age 33 this past season, and he pitched incredibly well. A 2.79 ERA, 184 innings, 183 strikeouts, so a K per inning. Have seen some people talking about the sweeper pitch that he developed. He can be really effective for the Cardinals. Here's a stat you'll like. Led the league in fewest amount of home runs allowed per nine. Put that guy in Bush Stadium. He could be even better. 2.7 2.7 walks per nine. Solid walk rate as well. Sonny Gray was very, very good this past season. We talked about in a quick video that I threw up on YouTube, not on the B-Shape Daily Feed, so another reason to subscribe to YouTube. If you are just a Spotify listener, you can get some extra stuff over there. And that was actually a video. You'll see my face and everything. It's frightening. <laughs> Sonny Gray had a 2.83 FIP fielding independent pitching last year which is about the same as his 2.79 ERA. So we talk about FIP versus ERA. A lot of times you can have a deceptively good ERA like Dakota Hudson kind of did for several years. And then if the defense stops being elite behind you, uh uh-oh, what happens? You kind of turn into a pumpkin again. And that's sort of what happened to Dakota Hudson. It maybe is a little bit what happened to Miles Michaelis this year. My point in telling you all this is that Sonny Gray is not necessarily that kind of guy. He has been the guy that he's been. And if the Cardinals defense can improve, and you take that home run rate that was a league-best 0.4 homers allowed per nine by Sonny Gray this season and put him in Bush Stadium for half the games, I I think that could even be something he replicates. So elements of concern, I guess, for Sonny Gray. We talk about him as, hey, he's this safe innings eater. Well, he was last year. He has had some injuries throughout his career, and you hope that it's not anything that's going to crop up here over the next couple of years for him with the St. Louis Cardinals, but... Last year, 2022, I'm going back a year with Minnesota, only 119 innings, 24 starts. Year before that with the Reds was 2021, 26 starts, 135 innings. So had a couple of stints, it seems, on the on the injured list. I'm not going to go back specifically to find exactly where and when those took place. But this past year, he was fully healthy, happy, pitching great for Minnesota, and he was an all-star as well. I've seen some comments that say, oh my gosh, they get this guy who's got an eight-win season. He was eight and eight this past year, and he won eight games the year before that. He hasn't won double-digit games since 2019. He was on the Reds and the Twins, all right? You, you, sometimes you don't win games as the pitcher on some lesser teams. Now, I know the Twins, I think, were playoff caliber and everything, but the Reds, those years were not, and sometimes you don't win games as the pitcher. It's not something that I think you should look at and say, oh, no, this guy only has a certain number of wins. Retrain your brain would be my advice. Like, if you want to look at Kyle Gibson and say, hey, 15 wins, that's great, despite his ERA, 
I'm, I'm actually okay if you want to use that as a point in favor of Kyle Gibson because it suggests that he's getting deeper into games, going six, seven innings, and even if he gives up four runs or so, a powerful offense like the Orioles had and one like the Cardinals should have this year, maybe he does end up with more wins because of his ability to go deeper into starts. Sonny Gray had 32 starts this past year, only 184 innings across those 32. It's a good amount of innings. He basically took the ball every fifth day, though, this season, 5.75 innings per outing. So not quite the six number that you're hoping for. But again, to even be that close to six per outing means he's going deeper into a good number of his games and he's rarely getting knocked out of a game early. And that's one element that I want to bring up and I want to credit BK, Brandon Kylie, who does afternoon radio on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, another Mizzou guy like me. I had this tweet brought to my attention by my buddy Travis, actually, who was bugging my ass. He's like, where's the podcast? I see you haven't done one in six days. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm doing one now. You'll hear this soon. What's up, Travis? He pointed out this BK tweet to me where Brandon Kylie said, looking into a few things yesterday, found this interesting. The Cardinals were 34-19 and 19 with a 641 winning percentage last year when the starting pitcher went at least six innings and allowed four earned runs or fewer. All right, six and four, no more. The Cardinals were winning at a 641 clip, 34 and 19, which he says for context, Baltimore had the best win percentage in baseball last year at 623. So when the Cardinals had a starter go six innings and allow four or fewer earned runs, they they won at a higher clip than the Baltimore Orioles won all of last season, and they're the best team in baseball. So good is the short answer to uh, the question of uh, how is that? It's good. But the Cardinals were 37-72 and when they did not have a pitcher go six and allow four or fewer earned runs. That is a 307 winning percentage. Brandon Kiley puts the context for that. Uh, The Colorado Rockies had the worst win percentage in baseball at 364. So when the Cardinals did not have a guy go six and allow four or fewer earned runs, they were worse than the record of the full season Colorado Rockies by a good clip, 307 to 364 on the winning percentage. The Cardinals were horrendous when they didn't have that. Now, why is that a lot of those times that it wasn't happening, it was Adam Wainwright going two or one inning? And you lost all of those games. I don't think they won any of the games where Wainwright got completely obliterated. So that contributes. And then you have Drew Rahm doing some of that stuff. You have Dakota Hudson rarely getting you those those kinds of deep outings because he'd walk so many those were the games where the Cardinals, and, and, and don't you feel that as a Cardinals fan? You feel those games where you're just like, this is why this team sucks. These games right here. So what do the Cardinals go out and do to their credit? They go add Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, who combined to throw. This is great from BK. This was from last week. That's why I couldn't find it. I was going to retweet it, but I, I'm seeing it's from the 22nd. Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson combined to throw six-plus innings, allowing four or fewer earned runs 33 times last year. There you go. I mean, that goes to show you exactly what the Cardinals were thinking when they added to the bottom of their rotation with Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. Get some big old boys. Kyle Gibson, 6'6", 200. Lance Lynn, you know, 6'4", 6'5", more than 200. These guys are going to go out there. They're workhorses. They're going to get you through six innings and oftentimes allow four or fewer earned runs. Those are the kinds of starts that we talk about. ERA-wise, it's not going to be great, right? If you go six and four, Every time, that's a 6 ERA, right? That's not going to look good at the end of the season. But that's the kind of ERA that got Kyle Gibson to 4.57. That's how he got there. Pardon me, 
4.70. I'm just saying numbers at this point. My brain is mush. Kyle Gibson was a 4.7 ERA. I think it was actually 4.73. I try to do this from memory, and then, that, yeah, 4.73. Sometimes you do have to look it up. But when we see that 4.73, we go, well, that's not very good. I mean, that's just so mediocre. I think it matters in today's game, and really in any era, how do you come about that 4.73? This is why when Cardinals fans were going, how is it any better than last year? And I broke it down in that tweet where I said, well, you have consolidated four people into two people, and now you get two bonus roster spots. We looked at the production of Flaherty, Wainwright, Hudson, and I think it was Woodford, who basically had a little bit of a higher, like half-run higher ERA, in about the same number of starts and innings last year as two guys, Gibson and Lynn. And Lynn is not going to have a 5.7 ERA this year. I would be shocked if it happened. I think it was an aberration for Lance Lynn to be as bad as he was last year, and I think he's coming in with, with a little bit of that Mizzou football mentality, STP, something to prove. I think he's going to say, I'm not a 5.73 ERA pitcher. They know that in St. Louis. Let me go there on a one-year deal and show it. I think that's what's coming for Lance Lynn. Now, is it going to be a three ERA? Maybe not. But if it is, what if Lance Lynn, just for a second, and I know we're supposed to be talking about Sonny Gray, but all of this context, I feel, is super important as we get into, like, do the Cardinals need to do more for the rotation, or would it be a luxury, or, like, where do we stand on it? And this is not just me pumping the tires of the organization. I think all this context is important. And if if you're trying to feel better about this team in November, I think this is good to hear. Lance Lynn in 2022, right, just one year previous, had a 3.99 ERA. Year before that, a 2.69 ERA. Had some injuries, didn't pitch full seasons either time. But, I mean, those ERAs, if if you get even 4.0 from Lance Lynn, which is close to what he had at the end of the year with the Dodgers, once you got him out of that dumpster fire in Chicago with the White Sox, 4.0 from Lance Lynn is now like a solid, sturdy number three if he can give you the 180 innings again. So it's not necessarily as bad on paper as it seems. And then you add the context from the Brandon Kylie tweet. That is a difference-making element to the Cardinals season. All the time we talked last year about, oh my gosh, this team gives up six runs in the first inning. Steven Matz did it several times before they took him out of the rotation midseason. Several times, you're giving up five, six runs in the first or second inning, and it's it feels like it's over. Even if it's not, and we can say, you need to be resilient as an offense. You should be able to, you're professionals. Ollie Marmel said, those guys are killers in there. They don't, they, that doesn't phase them. Okay, sure, but the results were what they were. I am going to say, I don't care if it's controversial, it's bad to give up five runs in the first inning. It puts your team in a bad spot, in a terrible hole for that game. These guys, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, basically were pretty solid more than about half the time they pitched last year. They didn't do that. Now, is that enough? I don't know. 33 times out of, you know, 65 starts or whatever it was. I'm going to say that that 50, 55% rate of getting that accomplished is better than it happened for the Cardinals when you had Wainwright, Flaherty, Stephen Matz, who we'll see if he's in the rotation. Dakota, I'm going to look that up and and know for sure, but that's going to be my homework assignment for myself unless somebody else wants to do it for me. What was that percentage for the group of guys that I had in the tweet? Wainwright, Flaherty, Woodford, Hudson. Because I basically said these two, Lynn and Gibson, are replacing those four. 
in the production you got. I'm hopeful that when I find that information, that Lennon Gibson will have been more successful at having these six-inning, four or fewer earned run outings because that would be an improvement for the Cardinals by signing them. So that's kind of a, another additional piece of context I wanted to mention today when it comes to how you feel about this rotation. We talked about Sonny Gray and how he was really good. Now I want to read this tweet from Michael Gaines, who I know from doing radio around town, and he's a high school football coach at SLU High in St. Louis. Gainesy put this out. I wonder if the Cardinals would have signed Gray first, then Gibson, and then Lynn, if the online reaction would have been the same. It just seems weird to be mad about what they've done so far, knowing they also have a bunch of trade pieces left. I thought this was a great tweet by Gaines because that's how I look at it too. It's a couple days after Thanksgiving, and the Cardinals, if they do nothing the rest of the offseason, which is not to say that that's what will happen, but if it did go down that way, they would be passable in their rotation. They would be passable on offense, hopefully better than passable with some key improvements in health and performance from some guys. And in the bullpen, I think you would be a little bit concerned about where they're starting out, but I would add that the bullpen wouldn't be as much of a priority in terms of day-to-day. It's always going to matter. Bullpen matters a lot. We see it in the playoffs every year. But because you feel better about spots four and five in their rotation, which I think you do, you should, than, than what you were trotting out last year, because of that, I think the bullpen would manage. I don't think it would be great, but I don't think we're talking league worst, even if they added nobody. And they're going to add multiple pieces to the bullpen. I don't know if those are going to be guys that make multi-year salaries and multi-million dollars, or if it's going to be a bunch of guys in the non-roster invitee bucket to spring training, but they're going to make several additions to the bullpen. Just like I told you, they would make additions to the rotation. Like, I know it's fun and hip to bag on the front office because they've done a lot. They've had a lot of missteps over the years, but come on. They got Sonny Gray who pitched really well last year and they got Gibson and Lynn, two guys that we weren't, they weren't really on our radar for the Cardinals to approach the offseason the way that they did. But I think they did it in such a way that allows them to have some stability and a floor so that the bottom doesn't drop out on the season. Because you can argue that if the bottom hadn't dropped out of the Cardinals season in 2023, they wouldn't have, traded off guys at the deadline. They would have been hovering around 500, which is not enough, but they would have had enough to at least kind of be in the mix. They didn't enjoy having to sell at the deadline. It was embarrassing for them. And they didn't really even want to face the music with an end-of-season presser. So it definitely was not something that the front office enjoyed. They don't like losing, contrary to what I think a lot of Cardinals fans believe. So to figure out a way to avoid that doomsday scenario, they have stabilize their rotation with veterans that they feel they can trust to where right now is the floor for the Cardinals higher than the 71 wins. Yes. I think it absolutely is today is the ceiling very high for the Cardinals. I would say it's not super high for the Cardinals. Everything goes right. You could go mid eighties, maybe mid uh, upper eighties. If things really went well with the additions and the offense just kind of meeting expectations all across the board. Yeah, I think you could have a playoff team on your hands. Median expectation for this team right now? Yeah, I think it's about 81 wins. 80-81. I think they but but that's to say they can add to the bullpen and they can reorganize the offense and the position player group and I think they can get there. Do they need more starting pitching though to get there? Well, 
It would be nice, right? It would be nice because I think it's a mistake to just look at what guys did last year and say it's first of all, it's not fair to those guys to look at what they did last year and say, "Oh man, there's there's they stink." 4.7 ERA, 5.7 ERA, terrible. Cardinals just got a bunch of, you know, nobodies. I don't think that's fair because you could always improve upon what you did last year, but if you're going to look at the optimistic side of the coin, you also should look at the pessimistic side because it's not a guarantee that Kyle Gibson stays healthy and locks in 192 innings. It's not a guarantee that Lance Lynn does the same to lock in 183 innings. And it's definitely not the same that Sonny Gray, or a guarantee, that Sonny Gray goes 184 innings again when he's only hit that mark zero times since 2015 until this year. Like, he's he's not been that level of a workhorse ever in his career since he was 25 years old. So it's not automatic that he's just going to be that guy again. I think there's reason to be hopeful that he would be, but it's the same as it ever was when we talk about pitching and starting pitching. There will be a guy that gets hurt in spring training, comes in with an arm injury that we didn't see coming. You have to be prepared for that as an organization. So right now, Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, I'm putting Lance Lynn above Gibson when we do like the draw your favorite rotation order because I think he's got more upside. So if we if we said Gray, Michaelis, Lynn, Gibson, Mats, or you could go Mats, Gibson, because I think Gibson is a number five. I think he's been consistently that type of innings eater number five. Mats could be a number four if he's on the field enough. Give him even 150, 160 innings. I think you get a lower ERA than Gibson. Like Mats pitched really bad at the beginning of last year, but he was much better down the stretch. And his ERA for the year finished at 3.86. If that's 160 innings of that, you take it. And that's at least your number four, probably better. So I think that's an that's kind of the way that I would break it down. Is that enough? Well, if you're locking in the innings totals and only looking at the optimistic side, then yes, it's probably enough. Gray, 180. Michaelis, 200. Lynn, 180. Mats, we're going to go optimistically 150, 160. Gibson, 180, 190. That's great. Now the strain on your bullpen is so much lesser, and you can afford to have those guys be rested, and they'll probably be more effective as a result because they won't be overused. Yeah, that could be enough. That's not going to happen, Cardinals fans. You're going to have injuries. You can't just, like, it. it's better to bank on reliable workhorse styles of pitcher. It gives you a better chance at getting those innings. It's still not going to happen. You're still not going to, rarely are you going to have a season where everything works out and all your pitchers stay healthy, even if you have a rotation built around the notion of being durable, right? Because I think you could say guys like Lance Lynn, is a, he's a durable guy. Kyle Gibson's been a durable guy. Michaelis has been pretty durable. But then again, even Michaelis has had his injuries, right? So you can't necessarily control all of those factors, which is why I think the Cardinals need more. Yes, I think the Cardinals need more in their rotation. Now, what's the path to that happening? People talked about it at the beginning of the offseason. Well, they're going to non-tender a few guys. They probably have, depending on who you were looking at in terms of the number, to get to $200 million, which is kind of the bandwidth, we think, roughly, loosely. 65, 60, 65 million to play with. They spent like 48 million so far with incentives. It might be closer to 50. So that does not leave room for a Yamamoto, right? Do I think the Cardinals will sign Yoshi Yamamoto? No, I don't. Am I saying they definitely won't sign him? No, I'm not. 
because there's a lot of people talking about still how much the Cardinals have checked in on that market and have been invested and have invested time in scouting Yamamoto and trying to find a seat at that table. Is it impossible that they'd sign him? No. But to me, what would have to happen before they could even pursue that line of thought is they would need to trade more salary off the roster. Not because they can't afford it. It's their self-imposed limitation. But when I talk in these terms, I'm just trying to be practical. So it's not me defending the organization saying, they just don't have the money, they can't. No, it's that they won't. If they've said around $200 million is their benchmark, let's operate in reality for these podcasts and talk about what could actually happen and not they should spend more. Well, yeah, they should, but <laughs> they're already at least going to be spending more than they did in previous years. And if $200 million is the rough loose budget, then we should at least entertain ideas that fall within that. Otherwise, I think we're wasting our time. It can be fun to talk about, but I like to try to adhere to realism as much as possible. So with Yamamoto, what's a number that we think on an average annual value he'll get? $25 million per year? More? I think it's going to be more when you count the posting fee. But if it was an eight-year, $200 million, Hmm, is it closer going to be like 7 to 10? That'd be a $30 million AAV. Let's say it's less. Let's say he wants to lock in the years and the AAV doesn't get to 30 because he's technically unproven in MLB. I'm not saying that's what will happen. I'm saying if you want to even have this conversation, Cardinals fans, it almost needs to be that if the Cardinals are going to be involved. Let's just say it's 8 and 200 and the posting fee is a reality, but let's just ignore it for a second and say that the Cardinals don't count it specifically to this year's payroll. They'll spread it out over the years, and it ends up being, I don't know, $20, 25000000 million. So it's just another $3, 4000000 million onto each year's salary allocation. I don't know how the Cardinals will do the accounting on that. I'm sure it'll be a way that makes people mad, <laughs> but I'm just trying to describe it in a way that allows us to at least talk about Yamamoto still. What would have to happen for the Cardinals to add $25 to $28 million in payroll knowing that they haven't touched the bullpen yet? They've got to trade pieces away. Because right now, if you just added Yamamoto, it'd be great. It'd be a fourth addition in free agency to the starting rotation when Moselock said two and a half to three. He said three, and then he said two and a half. Now they've got three, so credit there. It's barely, it's still November, and they've gotten three. But what would have to happen to add Yamamoto to this mix? Because if you had roughly 60, 65 million to spend and you've spent close to 50, 25 or 28 million doesn't fit within what you have left. Now, if you traded 11 million per year of Steven Matz, suddenly it would fit. But I still think it would be unlikely to go the Yamamoto route at that point because, again, that would push you right up against your budget and you haven't touched the bullpen, and you still really only have five starters, like you wouldn't then have Mats as the swingman. He could pitch in the bullpen. He could start if you need him to. You wouldn't have that luxury if you were trading him. But I think that salary is the one that you'd look to trade. Now, how easy is it to trade Steven Mats? I don't know. The Cardinals have reportedly been shopping him. This tweet was from Michael Marino, who I'm not familiar with, but seems to be getting retweeted by people that I am familiar with, so maybe he's trusted in the industry. But regardless, 
he tweets that the Cardinals are making teams aware that Matt's is available via trade. Four-year, $44 million contract. He's got two years left on that deal. How easy would that be to trade? I think you could do it because, again, the numbers were solid from Matt's. I don't know who, what team is the one that's going to want that contract. It's not bad. If you can get the 150 innings out of him, it's actually a very affordable price for the, the 3.86 ERA he put up. It's going to be a question on the innings. But because you're the team looking to shed that salary, you probably have to pay it down a little bit. I don't know how much. If the Cardinals trade Mats and they don't really care what they get back for him, they're just mostly trying to dump the salary, they could trade him and get whatever. I'm not even going to speculate on the return because it doesn't matter. But you eat $6 million total of the $22 million remaining, which lowers your payroll for this year by $8 million effectively. Okay. I mean, that would be notable. But the Cardinals, first of all, don't make that move unless they are very confident they can add another starting pitcher because then you'd be back at a deficit. Right now, you do have five, counting Mats, counting the three guys you brought in, and counting Michaelis. That's five. And then you feel decent about, like, Zach Thompson could step in. Who else could step in? Still kind of remains to be seen. I feel like you need a little bit more certainty, and it'd be nice to have more, like, ace-like certainty or ace-like upside anyway within the rotation, a top-end guy, a number two, a 1A to go with Sonny Gray's 1B. Something like that would be wonderful. Yamamoto would very much qualify. He would be the ace, in my opinion, because I think he's going to be really, really good. But elsewhere, maybe it's actually the trade market that allows the Cardinals to make that move, to add another pitcher, not Yamamoto, basically. Although Yamamoto would be great. But financially, does it make more sense to add a Dylan Cease, a Logan Gilbert, or maybe another pitcher from the Mariners? Because you don't have to pay those guys as much as you'd have to pay Yamamoto, so it allows it to fit in your your payroll flexibility more easily, especially if you were to trade Steven Matz as part of that same deal or in a different deal, right? If it's trade Matz just to get rid of the money and then do a second trade to get Dylan Cease to get Logan Gilbert, suddenly you're your payroll's looking really nice because you can then have more bandwidth to go after relievers or maybe even a bat, which I think they need to do. They're also talking about looking to trade outfielders. Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, to me, are guys that are on this team that don't have an obvious role for this coming season because in a perfect world, Lars Newtbar is playing left field and Jordan Walker is playing right field. Now, there are degrees of uncertainty to that proposition because you currently don't have a center fielder unless Tommy Edmond is your center fielder because you loved his defense there and you think he can hit enough to justify it. I'm a little skeptical of that combination of truths. When you factor in Mason Wynn, maybe not being ready to be the everyday shortstop. Like if he hits like he did for the Cardinals down the stretch in September, I don't think Mason Wynn can play every day. Like eventually... June, July, you're like, we have to platoon this guy a little bit because they're taking too much of a dive offensively. I don't know. Maybe you don't platoon him. Maybe you do send him back to Memphis to try and work on some things offensively. Or maybe Mason Wynn comes out like a firecracker and he's good enough offensively that that's not a concern. But, like, I think you have to factor all of these in before just saying Tommy is the center fielder because if he is, that means Mason Wynn is the shortstop and you know and you're trusting that his offense is going to be good enough there. And you can always go back on it, I guess, and move Edmund back to shortstop or back to the infield. But I don't know. It, it, like, right now, 
I use that word complicated because I feel like there are complicated moves that would make the Cardinals better. But the simplest thing is to throw Tommy in center field, to throw Mason at, at shortstop, to have Donovan play a little bit of everywhere, backing up Gorman at second base on the days that Gorman DHs or needs a day for his back, because I don't think that back thing is going away. It's just going to be something that, that crops up from time to time. Arenado deals with back stuff, so Gorman can have third base on those days or Donovan can have third base. Like It's important to me to have Donovan because he can backfill at all of those spots and in the corner outfield. There's another element of like, what about Jordan Walker's defense outfield wise? Is he going to be able to be an everyday center or right fielder or does he need to maybe DH more down the line? Do you look at moving him to the infield like first base? Those are questions that I think matter in the context of where everybody else is going to fit offensively. But I think the Cardinals would be best served to trade Tyler O'Neill and maybe even Carlson not only to maybe get some value, like a relief pitcher, or like I've said Alec Manoa would be a valuable target. I would trade Carlson for Manoa today. And I know maybe that's a little surprising to hear because people who listened to the show last year know that hashtag Everyday Dylan, that was our thing. And I really am a fan of Dylan Carlson. But I think it could be the writing on the wall that it's not he's not going to fully get a chance to flourish in St. Louis. And... Maybe sometimes a change of scenery can help reorient a player. Because as much as I'm in his corner, he could have done a lot more last year with the time that he did have. And over the, you know, thousand plus plate appearances that he's had against right handed pitching in his career to make that happen. Now, it's entirely accurate that a lot of his opportunities against right handed pitching were coming when other guys would have been in double A AA or triple A, right? He came up very young. He was very green in professional at bats, even though he was playing well at AAA, so they brought him up as young as they did in 2020. Those are realities of his situation. And then when he was sent down for a little bit in 2020, there was nowhere to play. It was a, you know, the alternate site. There's a phrase that I banished from my memory forever until just now. So like Carlson has had a road that's a little bit tricky to just say, oh, he had all these plate appearances and this opportunity against right-handed pitching and he just didn't figure it out. He's no good. I don't think that's accurate. But I also think the Cardinals are at a spot where this year matters a lot. And I don't know what bet they're trying to make on center field. I think they want reliability. And two guys who were not reliable last year, health-wise, were Carlson and O'Neill, And that's been O'Neal's truth for a, a while. And, you know, Carlson had the wrist injury the year before that. But, like, O'Neal with the, the soft tissue injuries and the back injuries, and it feels like the label injury-prone is not too far out of bounds. The Cardinals decided to tender O'Neill a contract, which I thought was interesting. He wasn't a name we brought up a lot about non-tender, but you could have guaranteed that five, six million was, you know, out of here. But the upside of O'Neill is such that I don't think the Cardinals want to go that route. But does that mean they're willing to just trade him for any random reliever? Or might they go another round with Tyler O'Neill and see if he can make good on the promise? of his skill set. I am fascinated. I think it's now that they've got three starters, I think it is the most interesting question about the Cardinals heading into 2024. Because in September, if you'd asked me, would O'Neill be on the team next year? I would say no. There's not a chance. No chance. None. Zero. They'll 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 punt him off that bridge one way or another. Now I'm not so sure. The fact that they did tender him a contract they're trying to, sh- to shop him. I don't doubt it at all that they're trying to trade him and that they're they're shopping Carlson as well. 
But I and and you can add to that probably Burleson. I don't think they're shopping him, but I think they would trade Burleson if they were getting something meaningful. Which brings me back to the Tyler Glass now thing. Like the tweet from Gaines that I read mentioned, like would the reaction have been so negative if it was Gray then Gibson then Lynn that they signed? And it's like okay, this is kind of what we expected. You got your your top end guy in the rotation. You got your back-end guys in the rotation, you've solidified something that you didn't have before. Would the, ro- would, would the reaction have been so mixed? And, I mean, there's been a lot of, even the people that are excited, it feels very muted in terms of their excitement because of, the I think, the order that it happened, which is such a petty thing to care about. But I think it's human nature that we're like, oh, you're doing this weird move, this other weird move. Like, okay, that's because something really big is coming. And so I think people had gotten in their head hey, they started with the small potatoes so that they could clear their plate for the big hot fudge sundae with a cherry on top, and that's going to be Yamamoto. And then when dessert ended up being like a a pretty good chocolate chip cookie, you're like, man, I like chocolate chip cookies, but I I saw that other thing on the menu. I really thought that's what the waiter was going to bring me. And so I think that is just like an expectations thing, a human nature thing. And so that's why people feel the way they feel about Sonny Gray. I think Sonny Gray is a really solid addition and I said all along, yeah, that's probably the most likely big fish free agent they go get if they end up with one, which I thought they would have to end up with one. But in terms of doing more, I still feel like the trade market is very interesting because as I read the Gaines tweet because I liked what he put at the end. It seems weird to be mad about what they've done so far, knowing they also have a bunch of trade pieces left. They do. They haven't traded away any of their ammunition in terms of being able to add via trade. And the most likely places to add to me are the bullpen first because it's easier to do those types of deals. You could trade O'Neill for a reliever. You could even trade Carlson for a reliever. I, I think that's a little tougher because O'Neill's got one year of team control and then he's a free agency after this season. Carlson's got a few more, and if he should make good on that promise, he's still cost-controlled and could be a nice outfield starting bat, I think. I think he's got that potential. I still believe that. But other teams believing that could mean he's a a viable trade piece. And Alec Manoa, am I super enthused with what happened with him last year? No. But maybe there's something that the Cardinals or some team sees that they can fix with him and turn him back into the all-star caliber pitcher that he was. To me, to clear out a player that you just don't feel like you have a spot for every day for a guy that has that level of upside with Manoa, and then if it doesn't work out, it's not, you know... It'll look bad if Carlson goes somewhere and he's a stud and you traded for a guy that you knew was a risky proposition. It'll look bad, but I think if you're being honest, like you you do have to figure out at a certain point when to make a move that feels a little uncomfortable and a little bit risky. And it's not like we're talking about Carlson as an obvious everyday center fielder for this team next year because I don't think they feel that way. So... If he's not that, then trading him for somebody who could be a legit star at starting pitcher, a spot you've struggled at, I think would make some sense. Now, are the Blue Jays interested in that? I have no idea. But I just think generally, it's not surprising to hear the Cardinals would be shopping either of those guys. O'Neill is the one that I would trade much more easily, even though I think he's got tremendous upside to have one great season now. You're going to have to pay him anyway after this year, even if that happens. And I don't see the Cardinals interested in doing that. So it makes sense to get a decent reliever for him. I don't, it doesn't really matter who it is. And you may even have to pay a little bit of money their way too, knowing that O'Neill's going to make five or 6 million bucks, which is again, why it was like, okay, they tendered him a contract. I wasn't sure that they would. 
we didn't really talk about it a lot, but I, I kind of had that thought. Like, they could decide to let him go and just cut ties here. They didn't. They see enough in him. The MVP caliber potential is there, so they didn't want to sell that low, so low as to get nothing for him. So O'Neal's in the mix. Carlson's in the mix. That's one tier of trade candidate, right? Like maybe Carlson fits with the Rays for Tyler Glass now because he's another guy that's on a one-year. And maybe O'Neal does too. Maybe it's a package and the Rays are like, yeah, we put O'Neal in our lineup. He's athletic. Like we'll take it. We platoon guys anyway. O'Neal could honestly be a great fit for the Rays. I don't know if that is made complicated by the fact that when the Cardinals played there, he missed multiple games because of the turf. So that might put a whole kibosh on that. They're not going to trade for a guy that has knee issues and turf issues. So maybe that's not a fit. But Carlson, multiple years of control for Glass now, I would do it. Yeah. I would do Burleson for Glass now. Lots of team control. Could end up being a really good hitter. Left-handed power. But I don't think he's got a spot in St. Louis. And you could use a Glass now. Even if it's just for one year. So I would make that trade as the Cardinals as well. I don't know what the Rays would do on that front. And if you're doing the glass now thing, that's twenty twenty five million for this year. You're over budget again. Brings you back to trading Steven Matz. Would the Rays want him? If they're trading a starter, would you want one that's half as expensive for this year, but you've got another year of team control on? And the Cardinals would probably pay down some of that contract, right? I think there's a world in which the Rays could take Steven Matz. Again, I don't know if they're interested, so we're speculating on that part of it. But that would make it most simplified because I think for John Mozeliak to trade away Matz, he would almost have to have the other deal to get a starter already in place. Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, whoever it is. And that's complicated, right? That's why I said the, the C word, complicated, because it's doing two moves almost under the cover of darkness and what happens when news breaks on the first move, right? If the first move is trading away mats, now you're desperate and the other team knows it and you need to get the cease deal through or whatever deal you're working on for another starter. And so you maybe would put yourself in a very uncomfortable position. So you almost need to do that deal first, but then the other team that you're trading mats to is like, well, they don't need mats now that we, we can just get him for nothing. So it it would be a really interesting dance. It would be complicated. I don't know if it's something Mo could do. I, I guess he could. If he pulled that off, it would be incredible. But it's the kind of moves that I was talking about all of last offseason that were complicated and that were going to be tough to do, and he didn't make any trades last offseason. Still has not made any this offseason. So whatever the reasons for that are, I think it is tough to expect the Cardinals to make the series of moves that could bring in Dylan Cease or Logan Gilbert. Now, the other part of it is maybe you don't even need to, if it's Logan Gilbert, you don't even need to trade Matts because you, Gilbert's not making any money, right? He's still, I think he's pre-arb. So that's not even a, a factor there, but that costs you Gorman, which or it costs you Brendan Donovan and some pitching prospects, which ends up changing the outlook on your offense. And maybe you need to spend some money there. So, I think these are kind of the moves that I would look for the Cardinals to make. I don't know if it happens. Like if nobody is interested in Matt's on that contract or the Cardinals would have to pay it down too significantly for it to be worth it because Stephen Matt's is not chopped liver. Like he can, he can pitch when he's healthy. He's just not been consistently healthy. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Cardinals want to approach that. 
But that's almost why I think if the Rays would take Steven Matz, there is a two birds with one stone scenario that would be really, really interesting. You trade Matz and Burleson and a pitching prospect or Matz and multiple pitching prospects, whatever they are looking for that you can accommodate. You send them a little bit of money even. So now you're paying even more for Tyler Glass now. But because you're clearing out the salary, it still works. You're clearing out some of Matz's salary. You're paying down Matz a little bit, which effectively makes the Glass now contract more expensive for this year. But because it's only one year and the Matz money and the Glass now money basically match, it's just you have Matz for an additional year. Would the Cardinals be willing to do that? I think that would be the most fascinating next step to the offseason. I've seen today actually reported that the Cubs and Reds are interested in Glass now. And I had a shower thought this morning that was like, what if those reports are only out to get the Cardinals to really be serious about this glass now trade that they're working on secretly? Like this is total hypothetical land, but wouldn't it make sense that like it gets leaked out? Yeah. The Cubs and Reds, they're really pushing so that Mosaic picks up his morning newspaper or his morning Twitter burner to read the news. And it's like, man, they're, Again, if you were going to try to work something through the media, that would be an angle that I would think would be really compelling. The two rivals that the Cardinals don't want to get glass now, if they're really into him. Oh, it's suddenly in the news that they're these two rivals are pushing hard. Huh. Like, that would be really an interesting leak if that were the case. And if the Cardinals... I think the Cardinals are a perfect match with the Rays if the Rays want Mats. If they don't, I think the Cardinals are still a very good match with the Rays, but it gets complicated for them to find another home for Mats. And the reason it's Mats is not because he's a better or worse pitcher than Michaelis or anything like that. It's just, I think Mats has a more tradable contract because I think there's upside there that people could see with his numbers and it's not as much money and it's, it's affordable and the Cardinals could pay it down some and a team could have a, a flyer on Steven Mats that could really pay off for that team. But for the Cardinals, I think it's more interesting to take a flyer on a glass now who's got legit ace potential if he's healthy. And I think you can afford now to pencil Glass now in for his 120 innings, more so than you could have if you had not gotten Lynn, Gibson, and Gray, guys that you expect to be workhorses. So that's how I see it breaking down. Are the Cardinals done in the rotation? They might be, but they don't have to be. It would just require a creative solution to get something more done. What do you think is going to happen, Cardinals fans? Do you think they're done? Do you think Yamamoto is a complete off-the-table situation, or do you think trading mats could open the door to Yamamoto still fitting into the budget? Do you think the glass now idea that I came up with makes sense, or do you think another trade for a starting pitcher could be in the offing? The Cardinals could have a really stellar rotation. I think there's a chance for that if they make one trade. It could be a very formidable group. Like, if you got Cease or Gilbert, imagine that at the top with Gray, and now Michaelis is your three, which is what we said all along he needed to be. And then your four, five is two innings eaters that are going to give you six and three, six and four. Most of the time they go out there and pitch. I think I don't know if stellar is the right word, but I think they could have a very good rotation in that instance. What do you think, Cardinals fans? Let me know in the comments section below on YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Click like on this video. Let's try to get some likes on this dang video. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. You can subscribe, to on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget about those spots. I know a number of you guys listen over there. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. That'll do it, though, for this edition of the show. More Cardinals talk to come, so stay tuned. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shave Daily.
Peace.